This is Wilson from F3 Dayton with your weekly QSource topic, where we review a chapter of the QSource while also hearing a classic episode of the 43 Feet podcast featuring Dread and Dark Helmet. This week's topic from the book is Foundation Point 2, Language, the Lexicon of Virtuous Leadership. My 2.3 came out of the Navy after having been enlisted for nine years. He recently transitioned to his second job as a warehouse manager for a heating and cooling company. In this new field, the real learning curve for him, he said, was going to be the language of plumbing stuff. Taking inventory, he came across three items that looked essentially the same, but had three different labels, none of which were on the inventory list. He asked the plumber, who happened to be standing nearby, what each of these items were and the plumber named each of them by their labeled names without looking at the label. My son was amazed. Every organization has their own language, and sometimes the difference of things is in the details. Dredd's first main point regarding language. Leadership is evolutionary, not revolutionary. The Q source is not a revolutionary theory of leadership. Revolutionary or leadership theories are a myth because all leadership is founded upon a common set of principles that have been gradually evolving through trial and error since the first caveman led his tribe to higher ground to escape the rising floodwaters. What distinguishes one leadership philosophy from another, what makes it useful in a leader's quest to influence movement to advantage, is its manner of organization and uniqueness in language. Because it is an outgrowth of F3, the Q source relies upon the same rich lexicon that the PACs use to communicate within F3. Any man who is posted to an F3 workout knows that F3 has a unique word or definition for any concept we consider to be mission essential. You will find that to be so in our Q source as well. Second, the culture denatures words to uselessness. Take the word accountability, for example. If you look that word up in the dictionary, you will find some form of the following definition. An obligation or willingness to accept responsibility or to account for one's actions. That definition, while technically accurate, isn't very useful in advantage seeking because it doesn't tell you how to do it. Moreover, the culture has further maligned the word into full-blown uselessness. Very smart people routinely say things like, yep, this is the year I start holding myself accountable. While that may sound good, it's actually a useless statement because nobody can hold themselves accountable. If that were possible, the word accountability would not need to exist because the concept of accountability would be unnecessary. We would all just lead ourselves down the virtuous path through our own self-will. But we can't at least not enough of the time to render the world free of the problems that the concept of accountability arose to address in the first place. As a result, for the purpose of the language of effective leadership, the word accountability has been denatured by the culture and rendered useless. Which is not good, because the concept of accountability is inexpressibly important to the skill of leadership. Without accountability, leaders cannot influence movement to advantage. Finally, effective groups have a unique language. So, in order to recapture the concept, we redefine the word accountability. Thus, the F3 lexicon defines accountability, with a capital A, 
as submission to standard through enforcement and consequence. To practice accountability, there must be a standard, an objective measure of performance or behavior, enforcement, and external force to apply the standard, and consequence, the result of the enforcement of the standard. Thus, when APACs use the word accountability, they mean the submission to standard through enforcement and consequence. Just as when we say PACs, we mean the members of a three nation. These are just two examples from the lexicon. There will be many more. With that as an overview, here's the substantive portion of a classic episode of the 43 Feet Podcast with Dread and Dark Helmet talking about language. And here we are getting ready to roll the open. Let's roll the opening. And, and we're, we're back. back. All right. <laughs> You're listening to 43 Feet, a podcast about leadership. We believe that real leading happens out front, but that means you're probably building the next 43 feet of good road for those behind you while you're running the race yourself. My name is Frank Schwartz, known in the gloom of the early morning as Dark Helmet to my F3 brothers, and I'm joined each week by Dave Redding, or Dread, one of the co-founders of F3 Nation. We're going to answer your questions, pontificate wildly, teach leadership, and otherwise attempt to help you navigate the next 43 feet. But speaking of language, ah, what a quality <laughs> professional segue! I mean, you know, yeah. At least I didn't, <laughs> you didn't have to really draw too far right. for that one. But speaking of language, that is F two, and that is where we are this week, right? Right. Uh, and there's a lot of well, and if if you haven't read it yet, then by all means, we commend you to do so. Um, but uh, there's a number of things uh, within language, and there's a good reason for why we have a language. And, uh, and some of those, you know, you just kind of touched on. But, but if we backed out and said, exactly why do you think it's so important? Uh, and why do you really believe that effective groups have a unique language? And, and what is it that, that, about that unique language that helps them to drive toward advantage? Right. Why is it, why is it foundational for yeah, leadership? Yeah, why does that matter so much? Yeah, I, I, I think it matters so much because verbal communication is such an inherent part about how human beings interact. Mm -hmm. and if you imagine trying to lead without using words, how difficult that would be. Yeah. So if you've ever been in the military and you're in periods of limited visibility and high stress, either you can't talk, right? because might, that might would be break too loud, noise, or, yeah, or the, noise and light display, oh, yeah, yeah. or it's too loud, or there's a, there's a variety of other things that are at work that make it impossible to, to speak. And... Uh, or to, to say many words that, that could be understood. So, for instance, for example, if you're getting ready to jump out of an airplane mm -hmm. uh, with a parachute not, on a static line, not as a, in a free-fall mode, but you're crammed up on, on this, in the fuselage of an aircraft, mm -hmm. there's static lines running from the back of your parachute, there's lines everywhere, you're affixing them to this long cable that runs on the inside of the fuselage. If anything gets twisted up, chances are your body could remain on the plane while the parachute went out the plane. <laughs> That, that, and you can see the bad. problem there, right? Yeah. <laughs> so it's critical, but you can't hear anything because the right. interior of a military aircraft is not insulated in the way that a commercial aircraft is. So right. you don't realize that you can't can't really hear. Uh, you can only hear it shouting. Mm -hmm. So uh, another thing is you're extremely fatigued. Your uh, heart is racing because you're about to jump out the door of an airplane. They're generally kind of hot in there. 
the lights are dim mm-hmm. because if you open the you're going to open the door right and if you open oh, yeah. the door and you have bright lights They're in like, there oh look let's shoot at that the enemy yeah. on the ground can see you highlighted in the sky so there's just a million reasons why so a huge part of an airborne operation and learning to do it is learning these these words that are repeated and these hand motions that go with it mm-hmm. to, to so that you can be effective so you know and i can almost remember it all it's been like 30 years but it's like stand up hook up mm-hmm. uh stand off stand by for equipment check sound off for equipment check um and i can't remember probably the rest of them but there's oh and there's like warnings you know like one mm-hmm. minute 30 seconds so you know because you can get it in your mind right but these these words start out at the end the jump master the guy who's putting everybody out the door he relays them back through the entire it's called a stick of jumpers mm-hmm. and they relay it to the guy behind them and it's a it's a well-oiled machine now it's not localized to say a particular squad in the 82nd airborne you know they have their own way of doing it mm. I and mean, if you're in you know in a squad in the 82nd airborne you find yourself jumping with uh one of the uh, the first battalion 74th ranger regiment guys you've never met before but you're on the aircraft with them same words yeah well it has to be same words yeah ha- you have to be you know you have to have these these words that in into which you pack powerful powerful meaning i think i've given this yeah example so we have talked about it before yeah. but an example from the military is that if you're on the radio right you don't say hey repeat repeat yeah because if you that can't means, hear because that yeah. means shoot the fire machine again. so i mean whatever you just did yeah. do that you know, again. do it again yeah. you say say again mm-hmm. and that's part of the effective language of leadership uh, and learning that effective language and knowing how to use those words. In other words, those are formalized words right. that are part of a standing operating procedure, part of the doctrine. But there's you know plenty of other informal words that arise in the military or terms or you know uh, just usage vernacular that gets used to make it work. No different than I think the example used in the synthesis is that the New England Patriots or any football team mm-hmm. has their own particular words that they use that are in their playbook. Right. Right. And you can find them. Same with the Bible. You know, there's well, words in the Bible that means really, something. Pretty much any group to which you belong. Any group that's effective. That's a, okay. Right. Fair. Ineffective groups don't have a common language. Because then they're communicating that's all right. over the place. That's you know, it's right. funny because uh, you just made me think of when we go to um, any place that's very crowded, uh, airport, amusement park, whatever it might be, especially when my kids were younger, right. um, I would pull them aside and I'd say, okay, now kids, it's business time. Right, and that was our effective language right. for saying that means Dad's going to handle things in a very specific way, in a very specific manner, sure. so that we all stay together, we all stay safe, we we, all, we have an objective right. to accomplish, you know, whatever it might be. Right, right? fun time's over. Right, and so they yeah. would know instantly. I'd say, okay, now guys, Dad's not mad, right? Because that was you know got confusing, you know, to the sure. kids. Right, no, nobody's upset, nobody's anything. We're we're just going to be communicating in a very specific kind of way, and I pack all of they know what all that means by saying, okay, guys, Dad's in business mode. And they go, okay, got it. And then they can right. be effective. And th- similar? Yes? Yeah, I had one for my kids, which, uh, which was was pick up a spot. Okay. And what that meant was we're trying to get something done, clean the house or get ready to go on a trip or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they've driven mom crazy and uh, right. they can't get it done. And I would go in and I'd, there were three little kids all about the same age. And yeah. I would say pick up a spot. And they were supposed to drop down into, you know, crisscross applesauce on the floor. Mm. And then I was going to give them one instruction at a time. So uh, I would say, each each one of you go and get your suitcase and return to this location. Yeah. And they would go get their <laughs> suitcase and come back. I'd say, now, right. I'd say, Mom, how many pairs of underwear are they supposed to have? Five. I'd oh, say, good. each one of you go get five pairs of underwear to return to this location. And they'd bring them back, and I'd, I'd inspect it, and I'd right. say, you have four. 
Go get another Try one. Again. You have yeah. six. Go bring one back. And then, you know, we go through this thing uh, step by step, and then we would finish the task because their little brains could not handle a broad instruction. Yeah, of, yeah you couldn't say, okay, right. pack your stuff. Right. They couldn't, yeah. they couldn't handle trouble. it. Yeah. So, and they used to, I think they were torn by, you know, when I'd say pick up the spot, they would roll their eyes because they knew they that knew now it. we yeah. were going to be all methodical. <laughs> but uh, I think they took some comfort in because they understood it. Absolutely they did. You know, They didn't maybe even know it at right. the time, but I'm t- yeah, absolutely they did. Right. So yeah. now that they're teenagers, the other night we had a similar type incident and uh, we just could not get the Christmas decorations taken down. They couldn't, mm. they couldn't coordinate it. So I said, all right, this is going to be the adult version of pick up the spot. Take a seat on the couch. Oh, no. <laughs> did you get the eye rolls? Or did they... No, they laughed. They yeah. said, oh, it's been a long time since we heard that. And right. I said, yeah, but I, I'm not going to make you sit on the floor. Right. So, but you're still going to perform the task. That's right. I gonna, said, yeah. first thing we're going to do is go get the boxes for the Christmas ornaments. But it was effective, yes? Yeah, it was effective. Right. And that's and we and we accomplished the task. Right. Yeah. So part of that, and we're going to get this downstream uh, in uh, in the Q source. And this is why language is foundational. It's a part of consistency. Yeah of being a consistent leader, using the same words and phrases all the time. It helps people understand what they're doing. It makes you more effective. Mm-hmm. It's part of teamwork, mm-hmm. right, and and these things. So um, language and the use of language by the leader, particularly using that specific and particularized language that the group itself has embraced and adopts, is a mark of leadership. And you know if you go to a workout and there's kind of a VQ out there, a virgin Q, and he right. doesn't have the... You know, everyone's patient with him, right. but he, you know, he doesn't have the not super effective. Right, not super effective. Yeah. And then a guy's been doing it for a long time. He knows how to. Right. He can snap the guys right in there. Get, they can get right, right to go. Use the words that get them yeah. moving, and you yeah. know, and that's that's the idea of it. Mm-hmm. It just it it promotes effective leadership. In the inverse, the lack of it when you take a word that has power, ask. yep, that has power, and you and you denature it. Mm-hmm. Right? You change it into something else. Uh, through misuse. So this is not in the synthesis, mm-hmm. but the, the the baseline for this or the foundation for this was something I got out of the book uh, Mere Christianity. Mm-hmm. And this was, uh, I think it was C.S. Lewis describing why it's dangerous for Christians to have uh, hyphens. In other words, to say, I'm a fundamentalist Christian or I'm a liberal mm, Christian. Mm-hmm, or, you know, mm-hmm. Because Christianity just means follower of Christ. Right. That's all it means. There's really no need to append. Right. And tag your little tag piece your on little, there. Yeah. You know, although I did it the other day, I called myself a muscular Christian. Or we talked about muscular Christianity. Well, right. And I saw that article. Sure. But it, Well, fair. Okay. Okay. So, and that raises a little interesting sidelight, which I'll try not to waste too much time oh, yeah. for. I would contend that muscular Christianity is Christianity. Okay. That, that the reason why we've tagged the word muscular on it is is to, to kind of return this idea to a more masculine way, and to think that Jesus Christ wasn't masculine, mm. you know, Good I luck. mean, yeah. traips in the hills and withstanding the right. whippings and the beatings and the crucifix. I mean, to, to do all that, you and to capture the attention of a bunch of men who work with their hands, right? Fishermen and carpenters and nothing, things. Nothing wimpy. He, he, yeah, there was nothing weak about him. He wouldn't have been able to do it. So, uh, in my mind. Muscular Christian, the the idea of muscularness or masculinity is baked in sure. to Christianity. You don't have to have the adjective, right? And which is really actually now that I've talked myself into it, really kind of proves Lewis's point is when you denature the idea of of something like that, mm-hmm. then you have to reinstitute the word. 
Yeah, no, somehow. No, absolutely. Right. So he gives the example of the word gentleman, mm-hmm. which in America kind of means, when I say that word, what pops in your head? Right, we think a, a polite person, sure. you know, or whatever. Right, right. polite and uh, comports himself with a certain dignity. Clean cut, professional. Grace. Right, professional. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, yeah. gentleman, right? Thought Officer gentleman. and a gentleman, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. All right, now, the problem with that is the original meaning of gentleman has nothing to do with manners whatsoever. It simply means one who is landed gentry. Mm. In other words, you are... He owns something. <laughs> yeah, you are yeah. of the class of, of nobility or whatever, right? right? You're, you're landed, you know? Mm-hmm. You're in that different class, which they had in England, right? You're a peasant, you know, or, or right, not. Or a gentleman. Right. Um, that, what, that's what a gentleman was, right? Um, that's funny. Right. Now, I think the idea of what a gentleman should do, how he should act... Right, because he's okay. landed gentry, because he's the to the manor born. Right, he has certain uh, obligations and the idea of noblesse oblige. Right, to, mm-hmm. to act in a certain way and to look out for people. You would want him to act. But maybe it was more of a he acted like kind of a chicken egg thing, right? He, you know, he didn't act sure, that way. Right. You know, like he was right. that way, and that's why he got. Right. Where, yeah. But I, I think you know, in a, in 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 England, if you said to a member of the landed gentry who was comporting himself as a cad, you would say. Come now, governor. Act act yourself right. as a gentleman. You know, as a right. you know, be a gentleman. Right. Right. Who, it's who you are. It's yeah, yeah. It's it's more of who you wish to be. Right. Right. More than a description of of what you are, or a class or anything. Mm-hmm. Right. Or it's, it is a class. Gentleman was a class. It was a thing. Right. Right. It, it was a thing. It was something you were. It was a status. That's the word. Okay. I'm okay. For. Not an aspiration. It was a status. You, you, it was if, a zero and a one. You belonged right, or you didn't belong. Right. Americans have a difficult time understanding this unless we watch Upstairs, Downstairs, or I guess the uh, Downton Abbey now. Down- right? <laughs> yeah, Downton Abbey. I watched Upstairs, Downstairs when I was a kid. My yeah. wife will listen to this and she'll understand completely. Yeah. I never watched right. the show. So no you have two different social classes. Right. You know, the gentry and the, the commoners, you know, the upstairs and downstairs, and, you know, the never twain shall meet. Mm-hmm. Through aspiration, you cannot become a gentleman. Right, yeah, no matter how you if act. If you're, hang, you know, lowborn. Right, you know, air court, low born. Yeah. So no matter what your behavior looks like, even right. if you acted in the exact same way, you ain't in. You ain't it, right? So it's really, it, but in America, it's purely aspirational because, as you know, Doa, we don't have a gentry. No, we don't. There is no landed noble class. There no. are no sirs, right? We are egalitarians, <laughs> right. a republic, yeah. right? So you know, it's funny when the word gentleman gets bandied about in America. I mean, you need to act like a gentleman, oh, like landed gentry. Right. Uh, really, the word has lost its force. Which bring that point that you make that our culture has denatured it completely. Denatured it completely. Denatured. It has no. It doesn't mean anything anymore. So a virtuous leader would make it his business to renature words, or if a, ner- a word could not be renatured, and I would say gentleman is lost to us. Right. Yeah. It's, right. It belongs to the goo now. He would. He belongs to the goo. He would. Focus on the words that have not been lost that can be rejuvenated. Uh, an example of that would be accountability, as we mm-hmm. say in the synthesis, uh, or if necessary, to just make up a word. Well, that's what I was going to say. Or he'll do what what you do, or well, what we do, we which do, is right. we'll we'll invent a word. We we'll invent a word. Now, goo, the word you just used, is an example of the invention of such a word. Mm-hmm. And what goo is is the is the philosophy of universal happiness. Right. And uh, what that means is that. Uh, the worldview that really uh, any kind of obstacle or any kind of hardship is bad, right? And our goal should be we're supposed to run around happy, blissful, right? Yeah. And anything that makes anybody unhappy, regardless, must be wrong. 
mm. and has to be eliminated. Mm. And uh, that's the philosophy of universal happiness. What we call goo nation are the organizations or the people that uh, form groups together. Right, the proprietors right, thereof. Yeah. That see that as a governing principle. Right. So that's where you get these ideas about uh, trigger warnings or campus speech codes. Microaggressions. Microaggressions. Yeah. They all come from this Safe kind of gooist, this kind of this gooist idea. Now, the reason we came up with that is because I think there's a element in the political, political discourse that wants to attribute those ideas to the left sure, or to progressives or to liberals. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's fair or accurate. Okay. What do you think is fair or accurate? Well, I, I think that it's a different cohort. There might be a Venn diagram crossover. Yeah, okay. There. Yeah. There might be some overlap. Sure. But, but I think there's plenty of people who are rightish that also would do the same. Or also have gooist tendency. So I don't actually think gooism fits on a political spectrum. To me, gooism is apart from that. But we need to call it for what it is. Mm -hmm. Because what goo does and gooism does is it reduces standards. It destroys accountability. It makes the striving for universal happiness the paramount thing. Right. There are just as many right-leaners and left-leaners who love T-ball. Who love what? Who love T-ball. Who love T-ball, right. <laughs> yeah. Or a trophy for everyone. Right. Or yeah. who would say uh, that any kind of pain or hardship is a negative thing. Right. Rather than a, yeah, rather than a thing that's part of what's making you more durable. Right. All right. So there's some examples of why uh, language is so important, why the lexicon of effective leadership would lead one to, to be very careful about the words they use in leadership and the groups that they lead to redefine words when necessary, and if, if necessary, to come up with new words for concepts that either don't exist or the words that would have formerly been used and useful in that way, um, that they, they just don't have them anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, that just that's just what we have to do. I mean, you know, going back to the football example, somebody came up with the idea of a dive play and mm-hmm. or, a, you know, a 5-4 defense, or, you know, you, you, you name it. I mean, those were all ideas that uh, concepts and words that <laughs> right. came they didn't about. exist from the time right. the right. world started. That's yeah. right. That's right. So to, to, to be able to do that because yeah. you know uh, I'm a lawyer, so it's true of me some to some degree. Uh, you as a I guess you want to be a media professional. What do you want to be? Sure, communications professional. Communication professional. Uh, we're like poets, pe- priests, and politicians. We have words to thank for our position, right? Sure. And I think everyone else could learn a little bit of that. You know, Doa. Yes, sir. You got a face radio. <laughs> Would you say I have a radio face? You got a radio face. <laughs> it's a good thing this is a podcast. Boom. Thanks for listening to 43 Feet, a leadership podcast. If you have questions about leadership, F3, or anything else, write us at questions at 43feetpodcast.com. Tweet us at 43 Feet Podcast or send a carrier pigeon to 43 Feet, 1415 South Church Street, Suite B, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28203. Until next time, we'll be here in the unknown, the uncomfortable, the difficult, the 43 Feet out front.